This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Cat3 Academy coach Tom Donati. He discusses his journey to become an academy coach, what he's learnt by watching some of the best international teams such as Chile, Germany and Brazil, and the importance of having a collective vision in an academy. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. So, Tom, first of all, I appreciate you doing this a bit out of the blue. Um, obviously, Ollie, who's been on the podcast with me, kind of when I asked him if he knew anyone who might be interested, sent me your way. So, uh, appreciate you doing that. I guess the first question is: is um, how is it being back on the grass, which all of us have been longing for for the past <laughs> six or seven months? Yeah, it's been uh, been very good to be back on the grass. Um, I think, as I say, I think for the for the players as well as us, <laughs> probably. Um, just that sort of desperation to get back out there, move a football around, um, just see a football being kicked around as well. It's, a, it's obviously a passion of, of most of ours. So, yeah, I think that's been a real real um, relief, so to speak. And then um, in terms of for you, kind of what's your current role? Like, What job are you in at the moment? Um, so in a full-time role, um, which is under-15s lead, um, Within a Cat Free Academy in the Southwest, um, yeah. So I lead, like I say, the under 15s group. Um, so last year we had a sort of combined 15, 16s. This year we've split. Um, so yeah, yeah, just lead that age group basically within the YDP. So imagine working with that age group is kind of interesting because obviously they're a little bit older and kind of have, I guess thoughts of themselves if you like and they would see what they see on tv and kind of i guess would want to reenact that to a certain degree um how did you find going into that age group and working with lads of those those ages um i guess to to give a little bit of sort of i guess background um the last sort of 10 years i've actually spent in the pdp so with 18s up um 23s and first team and then so i've kind of dropped down the ages if that makes sense but like you say, they've got, uh, I love um, the personalities that you have. Um, you've also got that sort of growth and maturation stage. So they're sort of slightly awkward as well. But I love, I love dealing with that. And I love um, being around that and, and making them feel a little bit more awkward, but also making myself feel awkward, putting myself in vulnerable situations as well. I think that's always amusing. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a great age to work with great age group to work with in in my opinion um like you say they're starting to sort of emulate um i mean everyone sort of watches a player at a young age and looks to them and goes oh, i want to be like so and so but i think at, at that older age they're starting to look towards real icons in in their minds and like you say try to emulate what they do and was there anything that surprised you when you dropped down into that age group was there anything that surprised you kind of working from what you thought it looked like on the outside? Um, not really, only because the, the last two roles that I had, um, well, effectively the last three roles I had were, were overseeing a whole academy. So I guess I had, I've got lots of insight in that. Um, so yeah, not it wasn't a surprise, so to speak. But what I will say is that that geographically, every region is, is uh, challenging in itself which is which is interesting you 
I never thought that England was so diverse within um, <laughs> within its counties, etc. Uh, but yeah, you get real different challenges in different parts of the country, which is interesting. Okay, so also you alluded to there kind of a lot of different experiences, and I guess in different areas and stuff as well. Do you want to talk about maybe your journey to uh, obviously maybe I assume finishing playing because that's how most coaches get into it in terms of they play and then they decide to move across and then kind of what your coaching journey looked like to where you are now yeah so um and and intercept any time obviously but um so yeah i didn't i I played sort of non-league um never played professionally um and at a young age um got got rejection at sort of 15 years old really um from from two academy teams um and then sort of didn't fall out of love with it but felt that I was probably better than I was um, or assumed that I was better than I was um, and then sort of stopped playing for a little while I guess at around 16 and then the, a coaching um, course came up which was basically like a full-time scholarship really um, alongside coaching and the coach that was leading it I'd had as a young young boy and uh, he was excellent and so that really sort of inspired me to go down the coaching route um, and then doing two years on that, playing football every day. Um, and again, like I say, playing sort of just non-league um, really inspired me. Like he was inspiring as a coach, to be honest, um, and inspired me to to want to, like my, my passion is really trying to develop people. What was um, so inspiring about him? Um, his, probably his his passion and enthusiasm for helping individuals grow was was unreal. And, and at the time... Um, so when I was a young lad, sort of, sort of 10, 12 years earlier, um, he was obviously a bit younger, but when, when it came to me being sort of 16, 17, he was probably about 60 odd years old, but still had more enthusiasm than any of us. Um, and it was just unreal. And, and obviously his knowledge of the game um, was excellent as well. Taught myself and everyone else loads. But yeah, his, just his enthusiasm and his passion for, for improving the us. Um, I don't think I ever felt like he was ridiculing or or having a go it would be critical but I never ever felt like he was um, being disrespectful if that makes sense he had a really really good manner about him as well and Um, how how do you think he developed that do you know what his background was or was it just that he'd always worked in that type of role um, so he he was high up in the FA so he worked um, as a coach educator in the FA like quite high up and I guess he had it. He had his own views, definitely his own views, as we all do. Um, but I think just really through through what he said is is more default than design in terms of having to having lots of experiences that then gauged how he might have to deal with people. Um, he went from managing um, sort of non-league teams to managing a professional team to then non-league teams again. And I guess the differences in in situations and scenarios where you've got your players and that's all you've got you've, you know that you've got to get the best out of them somehow so sometimes you have to change rather than they you know that they aren't going to change as such um but yeah so he he sort of kicked me onto my coaching journey really um and then from from there i started working for lowly little wick and wonders that they were at the time um which is a team that he managed previously and uh just doing some community work and, and they didn't have a I mean, academies weren't what they are now. Nothing like. Um, there were there were sort of centre of excellences, um, and 
yeah, so started working within that. Um, then started working for Chelsea after that. And again, they had loosely an academy, but it was more of a centre of excellence. Um, so I worked at Wickham for a few years, then worked at Chelsea for a few years. Um, then came across another a really good coach and he offered me a, a quite a strange... Um, and when I say strange at the time, it was very ahead of its time. So that's why I say strange, but an opportunity to work with Charlton Athletic um, under 16 girls. And at the time, they were they were so far ahead of everyone else. Um, and again, he was a, a, a good role model for me. Um, so I sort of took up that opportunity as well. So I worked there for a little while. Um, and then things led on. So then I took over a non-league team. Um, we were really successful for, for sort of five years that I was there. I sort of said to them that I wanted to commit to five years and change the club and their highest league position had been 17th. They weren't relegated because I think the, the team in the league below couldn't get the ground graded. <laughs> so they, we managed to stay in the league and then had like consecutively high finishes. So, um, and then I'm in the fifth year, one league and cup. Um, and, and like I say, that was, that was a huge learning curve. And the coach that I mentioned, um, Jim Kelman, he the one that took me on at a young age, um, he had always said to me to, to really grow and grasp as a coach, sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone and, and loads of people say that. And the non-league thing from going from professional environments or what were deemed to be to going to a non-league club. And, and I remember him saying, players will tell you exactly what they think when you're there. <laughs> Whereas when you're in an academy, they can't tell you what they think. And it's so true. So you, you, you put on a session that's average and, and they'll tell you. you, you know about it. What club did you go to? Um, what, the semi-pro team, or yeah. not, not semi-pro, but non-league. Um, it was a team called Hollyport. Um, so I took them over there, like they were Hellenic, um, Hellenic League, which is like, a, like I say, I think step four or step five. Um, but yeah, it was, it was like a real lowly, I think average attendance was like one man and his dog. Um, and, and and that actually grew, believe it or not, one man and two dogs. Um, but um, it was, it, like I say, a real, real learning curve in terms of just facilities, equipment, um, doing things that you probably never expected to do as a coach, but now all of a sudden you're having to do. And what, um, what was the reason for you making that jump? Because like you said, for a lot of people, they'd probably see it as working, you know, in that Charlton Academy. It's quite a nice setup, I imagine. You know, at the time in particular, Cholton were probably doing quite well as a club. Um, so then dropping down to that level where essentially you're having to organise a hell of a lot and trying to get hold of equipment and kit and stuff is challenging. What was the reason behind making that transition? Yeah, it was, it was mainly, I guess, for, for that, for self-development really. Um, I'm not one to, so I, I like to feel challenged. Um, so it, it was almost like, and, and not to say that, that Charlton wasn't challenging at all, um, but uh, it, was, it was almost like a, a jump in a, in a deep pool <laughs> without any armbands on and, and thinking, right, how am I going to get myself through this? And, and like Jim had said to me years before as well, is, is you'll really know your, your sort of worth and your value. And um, yeah, you can recruit some players that are, that are good at, at sort of non-league levels and, and those sort of levels. But also you have to, you have to manage and, and you have to coach and you have to put strategies in place that, that will adapt and, and hopefully 
come to fruition. And, and like I say, I think I did that over five years, which was pleasing to see, but also pleasing with the players that have gone on and um, like gone and actually played at a better level um, and, and won half decent things as well. So yeah, that was pleasing. Um, from from there, I, I then, so at the same time, I was doing some um, coach education stuff with the FA as well. Um, so that, that was something that, that sort of interested me, as I say, developing people. Um, and then uh, a role at Watford came along. So I started working at Watford and it was when Watford were were not in their junior years by, by any stretch, but they were, it was before the EPPP and it was when the EPPP was actually based around what Watford did so that they had the Harefield Academy, um, which was like a full-time programme. And it was, I mean, a, an unbelievable environment to be working in, um, certainly as my first, and that was that was an academy, um, and as my first sort of academy role, so to speak, like official academy, it was, yeah, an unbelievable environment with the staff, with the players, um, with the opportunity because of the, the foresight and the vision of, of the club. Um, little things like the motivation for us as, as even part-time academy coaches, but just we had to get so many players out on the first team pitch on every Saturday. That was, that was our achievement, our role. So um, to have that sense of worth, even as a part-time academy coach, I found extremely motivating. Um, and how did, the, how did they um, like break that down for you? How did they sell that vision to you? Was that quite early on where they said to you, this is what our expectations are? Was it filtered in or how did that look? Yeah, this is again, like I say, I've been I've been really fortunate on my journey because um, a certain Mr. Nick Cox was the academy manager at the time, um, and John Stevenson was sort of director of football. Um, and John and Nick sort of put in in the early days when I was there, they they put together, they got all the staff together, and it was like, look, this is our role, this is our task as the academy, um, and it was literally all the coaches in a room. Um, how are we going to do it? So it was like literally a, a, a massive, probably 55 person army brainstorm. Um, but obviously off the back of that, you come up with some excellent ideas, some excellent conversations. and You start to filter some, some real good, honest conversations as well that break down loads of barriers straight away. Like um, well, so, I mean, as, I, as I'm sure you're aware, Mike, lots of people in football have their own sort of agendas. Um, and I think that breaks down when you've got a clear vision I think that breaks down a lot of individual and personal agendas straight away because all of a sudden like I say you if you're not motivated to to be part of that you're probably in the wrong game in terms of youth development because if if you can't be sold like listen this is our job is to get sort of like 55% of the starting 11 have got to be Watford Academy graduates like if you can't get sold on that you, you shouldn't be in youth development probably um, so yeah, I think breaking down those barriers, but also the barriers of uncertainty and and clarity was was it was so clear. Like by the end of that that sort of brainstorming sessions, um, everything was so clear as to what we were doing, why we were doing it. Um, yeah, which was again a testament to the to the two guys that ran it really. And did it go in like a philosophy thing, like in terms of style of play and all that type of stuff? Or was it a bit more generic than that? Um, it, was, it was really 
based around a, uh, there wasn't a, there was a Watford way, so to speak, um, but it wasn't like so strongly adhered to that you couldn't tweak things or change things. It was it was really based around um, the player and and what was needed for that player at that certain moment. Um, but we did have like there was six weekly programs so there was um, plans in place as well so it wasn't totally random um, there was periodization in in lots of forms like back then as well where where psych and and sports science weren't as big as they are now there i say but we had um like excellent sports science approach and and that that backed up all those areas and like i say that's why the triple p i guess came in and looked at what we were doing and and um sort of built a lot of what they've done around it and was there anything that you kind of took away from that in particular moving forward in your roles or was there anything that you thought that you implemented particularly well that you've tried to take with you uh yeah definitely i mean as i as i say i think i think a togetherness was was huge um like I say, my first academy role, I felt like um, walking out of that meeting. I felt like I was like the first team manager. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But but I think like there was a sense of not just me; everyone kind of did because they just felt like they were such a big part of the club. Um, and I think that's crucial. So so definitely, I've definitely tried to sort of take that with me. Um, and then clarity, like I say, that the, it was so crucial, like the clarity in, in like, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is how we're going to look to achieve it. But the vision is this might come in the way. What, what do we need to do? How, how do we adapt? How do we change? And, and like I say, also work in between age groups. So it was never look, he's the 18s coach or the 23s coach or whatever you can't have a conversation with him. It was always like, make sure you do have a conversation and, and it's really clear what ex-player's strengths are so that we all are working to get him into the first team situation, basically. So I think clarity really was was huge, that sort of structure, but, but based underpinned by clarity. What age group were you working with then? Um, so I started off um with the under 10s i think it was and then i sort of bumped up so i went under 10s 13s 15s and then sort of assisted the 18s for a little while and then obviously when you started out and you're having those conversations who were the 18s and 23 coaches um so dave hughes was was uh, the 18s coach at watford for a while um excellent again really really good and and Again, someone that that would have conversations would also say, "No, this is what like, that, that's coaching, isn't it? Is is that you've got opinions, but also his opinion was was the final one, obviously within within his within his age group. Sorry, but um, and I think that's that's important. And then there were a couple of ex pros as well at the time that were sort of doing their B license slash A license and and sort of helping out with the, with the twenty three. So they were actually really interestingly. Um, John Eustace specifically used to come to the academy sessions and sort of ask for loads of information which was quite unusual if you know um, in terms of someone who was playing at the time and, and he's asking for loads of information from 
a Johnny Random in Tom Denai, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that was that was really interesting, and he was sort of doing a bit of coaching whilst he was coming to the end of his playing days as well. Obviously, like you mentioned, that it's quite important for you as a staff to be able to have those relationships. Is there anything you particularly learn being able to speak to those type of characters? That maybe if you're an under tens coach, I mean, you're talking to people that are working with players eight to ten years older than you are. But was there anything you particularly learned and you took away from that period of time? Yeah, I think uh, definitely. Um, I think the timing of your conversations is uh, is because um, because obviously as a, as a young enthusiastic coach and being given that sort of um, dare I say it power to be able to go and speak to to people in in higher roles or within the hierarchy of the club. Um, you, you can get, and I definitely did on many occasions, you can get the timing wrong of those conversations. Um, and it's almost like whatever you say, even if told someone you've got the best player in the world in your age group and this is why he's the best player in the world, if you get the timing wrong, it doesn't matter who he is or what it is. It's just like a big... <laughs> so... Um, the don't I, I think that... Before the FA Youth Cup, basically. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And I think... I think definitely I've I've tried to as much as I can take that with me definitely um, yeah because that you kind of I've had my fingers burnt on a couple of occasions and you kind of think oh, like take the ego out of it it's not me that's missing out it's the player if you know what I mean so you kind of go oh no I've kind of ruined by by just missing that time and I've kind of ruined his have you got an example of one um, I've got an example of two probably but. Um, yeah, I, I guess a, a lad at, at Watford um, that I felt was a very, very good player and probably, like I say, just the timing of it was like we we were currently looking for players in his position in the age group above. So this is when I was a 15s coach and I was kind of saying, like in my, in my head as well, I was kind of thinking that he's he's better than what we're seeing. But when there's that, that pressure to recruit as well, you kind of see different things, don't you? But um, yeah, and I, I probably not, don't get me wrong, he wasn't released. So fortunately it wasn't like that bad, but um, I probably in the next sort of three months negated his opportunity to step up and, and play in the 16s um, by simply having a conversation at the wrong time and, and kind of going, look, I think, and and probably the information that I gave as well, I think he's better than what we're seeing. I think he does the X, Y, and Z. and um, I think we need to review it and it was kind of like a, a big no-no and uh, <laughs> then he probably sat in the, the, in my opinion, the wrong team for the next two or three months. But that's also for other coaches to look at as well, to be fair. But yeah, I think that would be the biggest example. Well, like you said, sometimes those egos as well, it can be challenging to circle back round or have an awareness of going, actually, he's trying to do something good. He's not trying to be a pain. Yeah. But he's just timed it wrong in terms of one other things. And he comes in talking to me about little Timmy who's a left back. And I don't need this right now. That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So when you've when you've moved on from from Watford, obviously been there for a, for a number of years and worked your way up the ranks. What was your next role? What did you then go into? Um, so so that was probably my first um, my first setback as such in coaching because I I. Um, so Dave, before Dave came in, 
um, I sort of applied for his role for the 18s role and like if I'm honest I wasn't ready for it at all um, but I felt that I was at the time um, and I took that as a real real setback and then about three months later I was offered the 18s role at Barnet and that was sort of where I thought I wanted to be so I took up that role and um, so I was offered, like I say, the 18s role, did that for two years. And that was, um, again, a real, real interesting, it's one of those that you look at the club from the outside, especially now, um, real, real challenging time. But like, I can't speak well enough of the opportunities that I was given at that football club um, in terms of everything, really. There were challenging times, don't get me wrong, but um, the opportunities were, were absolutely unreal. Um, so yeah, I was I was really fortunate again looking back to to have taken that role and and again I guess a lot of people sort of looked at that and thought oh, Watford and and still still even now I guess people look at my CV sometimes and go Watford to Barnet are you sure but um, I, I mean as I say we we were a Cat Two Academy at the time um, and we majorly overachieved like majorly overachieved uh, teams would see us rock up in our minibus that was like three wheeler. And uh, you could tell they were just like, oh, here we go, boys, got, got a hat trick in me today. Here come the Barnet fellas. And, and we sort of finished mid-table. Not, not that winning is everything, but, but a few of the players have gone on and had good careers, which is the main thing um, already at, at young ages. So, um, like, played 100-plus league games and stuff like that. So that's, that's for me, a marker of, of what's good. Um, what was, what also, was good about the opportunities you had whilst you were there? Well, that, I mean, the, the ability, obviously, so the same day as, as I went to Barnet, um, I think there was a slightly bigger sign-in in terms of Edgar Davids also signed on the same day. <laughs> no, I, I'm a Spurs fan, so this is really, really interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I think the press were more worried about him than me. Um, but, uh, so to work with someone like that was was obviously a huge opportunity but I, I genuinely mean this also Mark Robson that was there at the time that probably got a little bit ill-treated um, was also excellent and, and to be able to watch him work every day and um, see see what he was doing in very very difficult circumstances and how he um, really how he held himself was unreal he was he was a real testament as a, as a real good guy um, in in the midst of a storm, really. So um, that was sort of a real opportunity to see someone like that work, um, and then just just things which I look back and think like kind of unbelievable in a sense, um, because the the chairman basically used to sort of hire out part of the the hive, the training centre. So um, like we had international teams and and big European teams come and train all the time. But one of the sort of, not stipulations if you like, but we were never told that we couldn't go and watch. Um, we were never told that we couldn't be around it. Um, and something that I definitely learned is, and I've tried to get the timing better definitely, but um, is I always ask, I will always ask the question because I think it, I don't want to miss a moment where I could have been in around something where is, I'm just going to stand by and watch if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, we had um, Germany came and trained there. So I spent sort of 
day pitch side, just watching them train uh, Danish national team. Who uh, was in Brazil. the Germany team at the time? Or who was coach um, in the team at the time? So Wacky was was the coach. And then you've got, um, you had Beerhoff. So it was, it was 2013, 14. So you had that sort of, Beerhoff was coming to the end. He was sort of co player coaching, I guess, a little bit. Um, but yeah, you, it was actually not a bad time, not, not at all, but it was, it was probably the end of an era for, for the Germans, if that makes sense. And, and it was just before they started renewing, um, but big Manuel Neuer, obviously in goal. Um, but I mean, just to see them work and, and when you think of like efficiency and my word, it was like incredible just to see the coaches work, the players, the timings of everything. Like so absolutely differences between what you would well, what in this country we'd assume like a first team session would look like to what theirs was like. Um, not not specifically, just I guess just the the efficiency, as I say, and the and the the focus from from the team was unreal, like absolutely unreal. Like for me, um only on a level with another international team that I was fortunate enough to watch, which was Chile. Um, and again, two extremely, extremely successful international groups. Um, yeah, and, and like I say, not, not at all disrespectfully, but just not, they, they were, those, those two international teams were on a different level of, like I say, the timings were just, everything was absolutely like clockwork. Um, it was like if a ball was misplaced, it would be sort of like gunned on. <laughs> it was like just it's so efficient, so efficient. Um, and was and there then, anything that surprised you in terms of the players and stuff? Because obviously when, when you're looking from the outside, looking in at those top players, you probably get a certain perception of what they're like or how they act. Was there anyone that particularly surprised you, even in maybe their performance or the way they acted or how they were like actually pitch side? Um, do you mean across the board or just with the German group? Go across the board. <laughs> yeah, um, go through the other teams you've been. Cause it'd be interesting to see how many groups you had in there. But yeah, just across the board, if there's anyone that... Yeah, across the board, the outstanding by, for me, by Country Mile was um, Alexis Sanchez. Um, like, absolutely outstanding. Um, so, because I, I, I speak a little bit of Italian, um, half Italian. So, he, he was at Barcelona at the time. And they were playing England on the Friday night. And I think he played on the Sunday night for Barca and came to training on the Tuesday. And the rest of the team were warming up and he was doing pitch runs. Um, and Sam Pauli was their manager at the time. And, and I sort of, like one of our players actually said to me that, you know, like, Tom, can go and ask him if, uh, why he's doing pitch runs and he's not doing the warm-up with the rest of the team. And... Um, so I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll go and ask him, like, being a bit cheeky. But we were actually training with them. So they they were using the youth team when I was a youth team manager. So they used me and they used the, the players literally as, as sort of moving mannequins against them. And and it did feel like moving mannequins, I'm telling you. Um, but, um, yeah, and he, he basically said, oh, I, um, I played, I think it was like 84 minutes or 82 minutes. I, I only played 82 minutes on Sunday night for Barca. So I've got, I've got to top myself up. And I was like, okay. And so I went back to the lads and I was like, yeah, he, he just said, because he'd only played 82 minutes, so he needs to top up. And they were like, 
you know, that's like eight minutes short. What's he like? Why is he topping himself up? And it, it was like that. I mean, it, it was unreal. So they did. I remember they did a crossing and finishing practice, and basically, the coach Sam Pauli never said to him, "This is what you need to do." Um, but when the ball was on the left-hand side and he was on the right, when the ball was over the other side, he was doing box-to-boxes just to keep himself ticking whilst the ball was being played down the other side. And honestly, he would, like when you say first in, last out, it was literally, religiously, he wanted to be the last one on the pitch doing whatever he needed to do, whatever he felt he needed to do. Um, just an absolute machine. And then, obviously, he then moved to Arsenal not too long after that and, and sort of... I think did very well in the Premier League, but I think he was a good player at Barca as well. But um, just to see that in the flesh, I think he was the standout player for me that I, I, I saw real, real class. And did that have any effect on on you or your players seeing that type of like dedication? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying this stupidly. Like, I, I've genuinely I'm one to try and push players. So, like. I, I was more pleased to see that and pleased that the players that we were with at the time that I was with at the time saw that because that's something that I would encourage anyway. And and like genuinely at Watford again, we there were there were two or three players that we used to get told off and have to pull them in from the pitch in the 18s group because it was like, oh, we need to stop them doing this, stop them doing that. They've done enough now. Um, so sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes you've got to be sensible, obviously. But yeah, so to see to see that. Um, like I say and also to see then his what you might deem as a bit of a rise as well in terms of however you want to see the game in terms of playing in the Premier League or I mean they went on and won two um, the Copa Americas so just to see his success as well within football you, you kind of go is it chance I don't think so if you know what I mean um, and then he gets a big big money move to Man United and so you kind of look at it, whether you look at football as finance, if that's the motivator or the love for the game and winning things, then you kind of go, well, he's, he's somehow balanced that pretty well. Um, and it's interesting because you hear his comments recently about United and kind of realising after the first day of not wanting to be there and seeing if they could do a trade back. And I, I always think <laughs> kind of what we said there is you, you look at it and sometimes players get a bad rep for whatever reason. And Sanchez probably has been one of those players that's got a bit of a bad rep. People saying, you know, he's taken home a wage and all that type of stuff and hasn't done anything. But they probably wouldn't know that he does all those extra bits in the background. Yeah. And so, yeah. kind of, you know, it'd be interesting to see culturally if, if there was a culture that he didn't like at the club at the time or what it looked yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because like you say, it's easy. It's so easy, isn't it, from the outside to go, oh, and, and don't get me wrong, we've all done it, um, myself included, at times. And, and you look, like I say, from the outside and you go, oh, what's he doing? Why is he acting like that? And like you say, it might be that he's gone into an environment where he's like, oh, no, what have I what have I brought myself in for? And even if I am on, I don't know, £300,000 a week reportedly, like that's not what motivates him and that's not what infuses him day to day. So there's only so much of that that's going to keep you ticking over, isn't there? And I think what's also interesting is you said there about him doing the top-ups. If you'd asked me, kind of from my experiences, why he was over there, I would have said it's probably because he didn't fancy joining in a session because he has to recover. 
Yeah. Where it's actually the polar opposite. He's gone, no, 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 before I can join in, I need to make sure that I'm yeah. where I need to be. So it's interesting, like the perception from the outside to the reality of what the actual reason is, is really, really uh, unique, I think. But what other, yeah. was there a big difference between what the Chileans did and what the Germans did? Because I, I always find it interesting with like styles of football, particularly in World Cups, you see, you know, South Americans all very good on the ball. I was say they're very good at turnings, 1v1s, being able to manipulate their body compared to imagine Germans physically very strong and dominant and all that type of stuff. Was there differences in the type of training they were doing or not particularly? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, I mean, Sam Pauli was a sort of huge advocate of, of everything that Bielsa did as his predecessor and, and so carried a lot of his work on. So a lot of if you've watched any of Leeds, a lot of the stuff that Leeds look like, um, Chile sort of look like, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, they they look, like you say, they, they looked to dominate in, in sort of wide areas um, to draw the game into little like 3v4s and then pop the ball out and, and switch it around. And what was so interesting and, and like what I'd class as proper elite about them um, is sadly they beat england on the friday night but having having worked with them all week um it was literally like the two goals that they scored were literally what they'd worked on all week repetitively and it was just um don't get me wrong we, like like i've worked in first teams and with first teams and you, and you work on things to to obviously try and score goals in a certain manner but the way that they did it was the most like literally from the warm up everything was building up to that end end practice um and how that looked to score a goal it was like incredible like the detail that went into every part of the practice if that makes sense um, um, did it end in an 11 v 11 or was it because i know bielsa does a lot of um small groups work doesn't he, he does a lot of yeah. um, like position specific type work they'll work on particular pa passes or patterns which then, when you combine them all together, like a jigsaw, obviously end up with like the end product. Did was were they similar to that, or did it end up in the eleven the eleven out of that? Yeah, that that is pretty much exactly what they did. Like literally from the warm up, it was like one v ones, two v twos. It like almost it just like you say almost grew, and then the puzzle comes together. Um, <laughs> I remember, and I felt so sorry for the lads. So we had a. Like I say, we, we had two 3v4s going on on either side of the 18-yard box. So literally just outside the 18-yard box um, on either side of the pitch. And I was sort of managing our players, our youth team players. And we were sending four players in against their three. Um, and basically our job was just to dog and dog and dog and, <laughs> and try and win the ball back. And if we won the ball back, it was like, wow, we've won the ball back. Um, but every 30 seconds, those players would change over to keep the intensity. Um, and they obviously kept the same three players in. And that was, like I say, that was just incredible to see, like their intensity, because don't get me wrong, our players weren't mugs. Um, so they're chasing around, they're trying their hardest to try and win the ball and um, probably not many touches, <laughs> to be honest. But um, I mean, to be fair to them, their, their concentration levels were excellent. But just to see that even, digressed and then progressed as well um, and how they did that and then how that looked to go and score a goal like you say was just um, a real real 
excellent really experience for myself and and like you say the players as well most importantly for them to and see was there, that was there anything like subsequently that you added into your sessions to try and emulate what you'd seen or was there anything that the players took away and gone you know what if i want to reach this level these are the attributes i've got to go away and work on did you see any really uptake in either of those things yeah definitely i mean definitely for both so so for myself i think um just the the key detail of of trying to make sure that a session runs through so it's it's slightly different i think in academy because you're not necessarily trying to win a game of football um but still you're trying to continue a theme if that makes sense so so whatever that theme might might be and and for each individual that's the difference in academy is for each individual you're trying to spin plates really but to make sure that theme carries through and and i sort of did that anyway but just to just to hammer that home like that that really hammered it home for me um and then for the players certainly like i still speak to a number of the players that were in that youth team and like i say a few of them quite a few of them playing league football and um one of them actually said to me not too long ago i mean he's he's a really really talented footballer um and he actually said to me not so long ago he was like ah oh, tom i just remember chasing them around <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like he but it was again he was one that saw um, and we brought him in from non-league and he was one that saw Sanchez doing the extras and that was like for him that was a real item there. so and then seeing the intensity that they worked at and being in it as well not just seeing the intensity but actually being involved in it and chasing around he was like that's a game changer and to be fair to him he's he's knuckled down and been right so hopefully Taking it's been it a good learning curve for him yeah and then, sorry, so you said you've got Germany, um, Chile, and you mentioned, I think, Denmark as well? Yeah, Denmark. Um, we had uh, the Brazilian national team as well. So, again, that was that was excellent. So, we were allowed sort of basically all access to that. Um, that was so, so different. So, so different. Um, in in terms way? of, well, so Scolari was the manager. Um, and it was almost like their two training sessions that they did it was almost just like a, a cool down slash but they were building up to a game against england again but it was almost like a cool down slash bit of fun if you like um but i mean again uh sort of watching like literally pitch side rondos with ronaldinho david louise uh, neymar um that was the group like it, it was intense don't get me wrong it wasn't like fun and jokes and like it was intense and the ball was absolutely buzzing around um but just the the difference in culture i guess and attitude between the brazilians and the germans and the danish it was just it's so just so interesting to see and, and the chileans as well like just so so interesting to see um but yeah again like i say just just really fortunate and probably a bit too on the front foot of me sort of approaching Scolari and saying, look, I want to come and watch trade. <laughs> He's like, yeah, 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 come and, come and watch. And so, again, I, I live by, if you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> have you always been curious or like that? Or is that something that you kind of developed as you got a little bit older? No, I think I've always been, I've always been sort of like a, like I say, I've always wanted to help other people, but through helping other people, I've, I've recognised that I also need to help myself. Um, and and whether it's the experience whether it's the watching and 
like you say, with the Chileans and, and seeing things and going, right, that's reinforced what my belief was, but actually that changes a lot of things for me. Um, so, yeah, that curiosity is always, um, my mind jumps. I'm quite arguably creative. So, um, yeah, my mind jumps quite a lot. So I'll, I'll want to know a bit more about something. I'll, I'll definitely go and ask and say, right, and then that ties into the timing. I just need to get the timing right. <laughs> But I figure it's, it's quite a good skill to have because, I mean, being able to go and approach these players slash coaches or whatever, even just say something simple, can I stand by the side of the pitch and watch? A lot of people would be very reluctant to do that, I think, for wanting to impose or getting shut down um, or being told to sling your hook or whatever. I think a few other people might just pretend to be groundsmen for a bit and end up watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get the, get the fork out. I'm just, yeah, I'm just oh, doing yeah. this pivot in here just by the team talk. <laughs> or like that. So, um, it's quite, I imagine, quite a good skill to have in order to aid your development to be able to go and just ask a question. If it's a no, all right, I'll go. But if it's a yes, you learn some invaluable experiences, I guess. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's yeah. I I've, I don't really ever think of it like that in a way, but yeah, I guess I, I mean I I like to think um, I'm respectful, so I wouldn't ever disrespectfully ask if that makes sense, and obviously respect the answer that's given. So, like you say, if you're told to sling your hook, it's okay, no problem. Um, but I also think I I treat everyone equally, so I think whether it's Scolari or I don't know, a non-league football manager, if I'm if I'm intrigued by something, and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean that people will see Scolari as maybe more important because he's a World Cup winner or whatever. Um, I think if I'm intrigued by something that I'm seeing or, or something that I think might add value to me and therefore other people, I, I would just always ask. I would simply just... But like I say, just in inequality, really, just thinking... I'm going to be respectful and ask, but at the same time, I kind of like what I'm hearing or seeing. Yeah. Um, but if he's just a person, what's the worst? It, it, exactly. That's how that's how I've always thought about it. And apart from apart from probably um, Dennis Bergkamp or Zidane, I might <laughs> might think a little bit differently. But I don't think so, to be honest. I think I probably everyone would probably be a bit like, oh no, we'll go and ask him. Don't worry. So then, in terms of obviously, those guys are coming in infrequently and whatnot, but then. Linking back to someone you mentioned before, Edgar Davids has probably worked with a lot of those top coaches and obviously has played with some incredible players, particularly at Tottenham with your Robbie King. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what, what did you take away from him, both, I guess, on and off the pitch? Hang on, you, you particularly at Tottenham, yeah? I like that. Like, I love that. <laughs> Forget you, Van Barca. Particularly at Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about those guys. It's what he learned. When he was it's what he learned. Why are they? <laughs> um, I, I think um, what, what he showed, like, on a daily basis is his standards for himself, definitely. Um so he was, I think, 39 when he signed. He was, yeah, because he turned 40 when he was there, definitely. So when he, when he came in, he was 39. And the reason I say that is because his, his like, in physical shape, he was, un, like, it was unreal. Don't get me wrong, he couldn't get around the pitch as he used to. But, like, just an athlete, you just think, wow, at 39 years old type thing. So 
but he he was gymmed every day. He was in the gym every day uh, without fail. Good habits with his food. Um, so little things like that. And, and that was obviously on the player front. Um, then he, he had a, a half-decent team around him as well in terms of coaches. So learning. And, and again, that was really interesting to see the Dutch style, like very, very Dutch style. Um, very, very Raymond Bahian, if you heard of him um, and very much based on periodization and how they sort of saw the game now there was probably a slight downfall to that in terms of what they had at Barnet in terms of the players and whether or not they really structured the, the team around the players that they had or around what they wanted to do, if that makes sense. That was probably the, the imbalance. So what um, were they trying to do at that point? Or from, from what you understood, what were they trying to do, all the periodization and strategy? I mean, I mean they, it, it was all about playing, playing out through, through the thirds. It was all about playing from the goalkeeper, playing through the thirds. Um, and I guess, like I say, there, there were elements, I mean, in at the time in League Two, it was like unheard of. It was sort of unseen teams actually trying to pass the ball through the thirds. Um, and there was some lovely moments, so to speak. Um, but the team got relegated. So on the back of that, you kind of go, so where does... And, and again, that's my intrigue, really, is I look at things and, and try and sort of work out and think about, OK, so why might that have happened? Why... Why did these things happen? Um, but yeah, I guess I guess it was just to to see him and and also his his sort of input on training was minimal, really, to be honest. But then when it was when when he wanted something, it was done. If that makes sense. Um, so it was kind of like leave it to the assistant, leave it to the coaches because he was playing as well at the time. Um, so that was interesting, really, really interesting to see. And I, I'll never forget as well. I asked him um, who the top manager he'd ever, the top coach, because again I was intrigued. So I was like, I just want to know. And he said uh, Carlo Ancelotti, and I was like, Ah, oh, Carlo, yeah, yeah, of course, Carlo Ancelotti. And I was like, Okay, and why is that? And he was like, Ah, oh, what a player. <laughs> He was like, I was like, oh no, that's my coaching career ended. <laughs> um, yeah, he was like, oh, he used to, like, he was the best player in the Rondo all day long. <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's literally me done. <laughs> the little part of him still wanted him to be able to play and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and again, like, like little things that they did um, significantly every day, like they'd always do Rondos, they'd always do a possession. Um, probably didn't do enough goal scoring or defending of the goal if I'm honest um, but that's something I'm speaking in my opinion obviously that they might go well no whatever um, but yeah no that was like I say that was interesting to see him work and, and was very different to Mark who was sort of alongside him at the start as well Mark was probably more team structured of what I saw and probably more based around what the players that he had and how he was going to get the best out of them if that makes sense rather than his system um, so yeah that was interesting but then yeah yeah so 
has in terms of you moving forward obviously we'll kind of elaborate on your career further but did that present any challenges for you if you're going into an under 18s or a first team environment where you were like do i go in with a system that i want to play and force the players to be able to do it or do i cater my system to what the players can do hope that i can stay in the job long enough to then be able to get players in potentially that can do my system better did that kind of cause issues for you moving forward no like 100 percent. so i think it was like a real learn on the job type moment because that it was almost like i was helping the first team in terms of coaching with the first team at times and, and watching their training sessions and feeling that and then at the same time looking at the youth team and kind of literally instantly importing that if you like and, and thinking actually maybe i'm trying to like you say suggest my system and actually that's not what i need to do i need to think about the players that i've got so it was like literally the uh, a collision of what i'm watching and actually what i'm doing and and maybe i'm trying to do exactly what they're doing but when i'm seeing them doing it i'm thinking oh maybe i wouldn't do that but it's all right for me. So yeah, it was it was definitely a, a huge learning curve and a huge learning moment. Um, and definitely that like like I say, we we massively overachieved as as a Barnet youth team in, in a Cat Two sort of games program. Um, in terms of holding our own and and just getting players people looking at players, clubs looking at players at Barnet, and and you're like what's going on there um, and, and paying good money for players and, and then like I say league appearances as well that's what I class as success so but we also finished like seven out of 12 or 14 in the league which again is not deemed a success but like I say just overachieving and that was probably generally because whatever players I had available I would try and fit the system to them so whatever whatever we could do with those players we would do and, and I made that really clear for the players in terms of this is why we're playing like this today is because this is what we've got. Um, and obviously that, I guess, to a degree, challenges kind of P format in terms of P likes you to have maybe a classified style of play or, you know, academies playing similar to how the first team does so there's a filter through. Do you think, is that something that's challenged you later on in terms of being able to integrate systems into your academy teams or... Is it something that you've just parked for the time being and if you went into a more senior role, you would go and look to do that again? How does that look for you? Yeah, I think so. I think it, I think that's the, the biggest difficulty with, with academy football, really, is that you've got however many players you've got within your age group. You've got, say, 16 different players and, and you're trying to improve 16 different players in 16 different ways. Um, and let's be honest, when you play whatever system you play, I would try, I'd like to use a system personally that will help as many of those players. So the percentages are higher, if that makes sense. And, and there might be, on a specific day, there might be three or four players that are going to have to fit into a system so that seven or eight, if you like, can, can be in, in their perfect system, if that makes sense. But also within that, I think it's healthy to challenge as well. So um, 
I know that Saints used to be quite big on, I'm not sure if they still are, but they used to be quite big on sort of playing in a number of positions to sort of learn why your opposition might play in a certain way. And I think that's also healthy. So, but I think that has to come with, with a plan rather than just a, we're going to play 4-4-2 every week and so everyone's going to fit into our system because I think that then goes into the, dare I say it, the traditional English schooling system, like takeaway football of like everyone sits in the classroom, everyone looks at the board, everyone writes with the same pen and do you know what I mean? It's like that's not individual at all and we want these individuals to be brilliant, the best they can be and I don't think we're catering for that. So I think, yeah, there's definitely... An element that I would try and also implement and, and support wherever I am, really, of, of trying to encourage that, definitely. Yeah, I think the, the example I always use is, and again, I've said this before in a podcast, but as a Spurs fan, I've looked at it with Arsenal, although to be fair to our Tetter, he's changed it, changed it around quite well, is they have like two number nines in Lacazette and Aubameyang. And then they went and bought Pepe as a right, wick, right winger. Yeah. So then you're looking at it and going, well, someone's playing out of position. Yeah. Um, and I use the example that having two number nines, is there ever a point where actually we play a formation that they get to play together? So they get the use of combination off of that one going a little bit longer, one fronting up, you know, the runs off of it, be it as a three at the back or a diamond midfield or something like that. Because I think quite a lot in academy football, you'll get four, two, three, one or you'll get 4 three, 3 but very rare will you end up with two strikers. And I think that, you know, if you if clubs are willing to explore that type of area, I think it would really benefit players because you just see them in different areas of the pitch, which maybe you go, actually, yeah. he's really good in that role. Or I thought his movement was great, but his movement's great when he plays up front by himself. When he's got someone else there, he just runs into the space and doesn't understand how to play off someone. And I think that's something that probably... I would hope we'd look towards moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is. I think that's, that's um, for, like, again, for in my opinion, personally, I think that's just an array of, like, like you've said, like you, you might have a number nine that you think is excellent. And then, because he, he's excellent, has he always just played in the same position, in the same system? with similar players around him against different opposition. So yeah, okay, every every game is going to be slightly different. But he's always been in like you say, if maybe if you stuck someone next to him, you suddenly go, well actually his his value as a footballer is actually less than we thought it was because like you say, he, he makes really bad runs when he's next to someone else. And maybe we need to teach that. Maybe we need to work on that a little bit. And um he always comes to feet and is he going to stretch play and then if coaches are looking from the outside going, well, he never stretches play, then, well, we had a, we had a really good example of that, actually, um, just quickly at, at Watford. Um, and I won't mention any names, obviously, but um, the, the first team manager at the time and, and our youth team captain like, was the best player, really, obviously being captain. And um, the, the, I remember, <laughs> never forget the first team manager basically saying, look, we play a four-four-two in the first team, and you're telling me this this lad is like one of the best players. He's like, can he play? Can he go box to box? And I'll never forget because he'd always played a single pivot, so he wasn't a box to box midfielder, and and he'd been like the best player for years. And it was like, ouch. So we it, within our system, like the way that we've taught him to be, 
has actually not killed him from having a career, but has stumped his career here particularly. Um, and that was, again, that was a real, real wake-up call at a young age to exactly like you've just asked, really, to, to go, actually, people need a variety. And variety is the spice of life, right? So, um, so you've, got to, you've got to change things up, haven't you? You've got to mix things up a little bit. Like, I always think, what, how, how did Philip Lahm become one of the best left-backs ever, being right foot? Like, how did that happen? I'd love to know. I'd love to ask someone. <laughs> he probably got he got palmed out there because there was a bigger, better right back adapted, and all of a sudden, bloody hell, he's good, isn't he? <laughs> I bet, and, and, exactly, exactly, and I bet that's not far off the truth. And that's what I'd love to know. I'd love to find that out and go, yeah, like you say, probably just got slung out there. Oh, you, go on, Phil, you go and play left back. All right, I'll be the best in the world. <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of for you moving on from Barnet, so you, you spent a few years there and as you alluded to, you've had some um, success with, with players progressing and that type of stuff. What was your next move from there? Um, so then from there, got got a phone call um, from Cambridge United who'd just been promoted to League Two and um, quite, quite an interesting uh, sort of but strange story behind it. I, I sort of phoned my mum and said, oh, I've just had a phone call from Cambridge. I don't know whether to accept the job. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you'll meet someone up there that, that's going to be really important in your life, which has been. Um, so Graham Daniels, who was on the board of directors and heads up um, like a charity called Christians in Sport. And he was like, he's been momentous in, in just my development and, and just being around as a human. He's an unbelievable human. But, um, so yeah, so I took the job at Cambridge, um, and again that was that was really sort of humbling experience, really a development field experience because again there were, I was driving minibuses and washing kit and um, <laughs> just just things I never sort of expected when I first walked through the door, to be honest. Um, but what I will say is the club had all the sort of values that that probably Barnet didn't if that makes sense um which kind of drew me towards it but also had a really really young like it wasn't an academy it was the first year it had been an academy um so everything that we did was kind of like learning on the job and I guess part of the reason that I was there really was with with some sort of experience at the time um of doing it so yeah had a really good two years there and sort of ended up being head of coaching as well because a couple of people progressed so overlooking the program as well uh, i guess at that stage you're then looking at you know shaping curriculums or shaping i guess to agree coaches and how they interact with the kids and stuff what type of things did you look to implement at that time to i guess fulfill the vision of how you saw football slash coaching should should be um, interesting you ask, Mark, because in the last couple of days I've had a couple of conversations around this, actually. And, um, I, what, something that I find really interesting in, in football is that, that sort of first-team managers are generally employed because of their style or, or how they are, what they do. And then they'll generally employ coaches on their style or what they do. Um, and I get it with academy coaches because there are there are many academy coaches that are, are not so experienced. But I think 
a bit like players in my opinion and, and maybe I am a total purist but I think it's too often that people are employed and then told what to do if that makes sense so I kind of think to myself well I guess my my interview process would be I'll really want to get to know X coach and okay there might be some people that talk a good game and certainly take you down a blind alley but I want to know behaviours and his or her behaviours and his or her philosophy as such but how they're going to coach is going to make our group better if that makes sense what they're going to bring to the party is going to make our group better rather than me going well I'm heading up the academy so this is how we're going to do it if that makes sense um of course I think I, I do believe you've got to have some sort of structure in terms of a syllabus and a, and a, a program but I do think that each coach because otherwise in my opinion you, you just feel like demotivated closed in caged coaches um, and I've seen many of those across the years and they, they just become egos and they become the the sort of spindlers in, in the background that go and tell little tales on each other and you that's not for me an environment so I guess just really um, living to, to my values and, and being quite open about my values and, and sort of saying right this is how football I, I would like the program to look um, and like like I say that is maybe a bit purist but yeah so I guess what, what you kind of alluded to there is the more diverse a coaching group you have the more experience coaches get from uh, or kids get sorry from their coaches which then obviously helps them progress because you might have one coach who teaches crossing and finishing in one particular way might be off mannequins compared to another that does it all opposed but by having that diversity you're providing a better well-rounded education rather than going this is a syllabus this is exactly what you have to do absolutely like genuinely i couldn't agree with that more and, and i think when you've got a player like less less talking purest terms that comes in at, at under nines and goes all the way through the system and plays in the first team and they've had all those like you say they've done three thousand finishing sessions but in totally different formats i i would like to think that that player is still motivated because every time they do a finishing session it probably looks different um and like you say they've probably learned and picked up lots of different things from the differences so like you say I think that's that's crucial and I'll never forget um, and hopefully you won't mind me quoting this um, but Neil Bath there was a stage and I don't know if they still do this at Chelsea but there was a stage at Chelsea where he his, his sort of mantra to, to recruit coaches or staff in general was sort of 33% and that was 33% of like ex-professionals in terms of could be within the club or without the club um 33 of scholars so uh, sorry non-football scholars so so educated scholars um people that have been in in university education so they're bringing a different game if you like and then 33 percent of actually young people that have come through the club that haven't finished up with a playing career um so for example as an example joe edwards being one of those um and I remember just hearing that and thinking, like you say, like you, you've got such a good mix then of, of 
and, and so many conversations and probably a lot of conflict at times, but that's good. As long as you can have that conflict and obviously move on from it, but that's really good. And I, I just remember thinking about that and thinking, you know what, that's, that's probably a really good sort of loose mantra to work by in terms of trying to engage different cultures, really. I think, yeah, as you said there, alluding to conflict, because what you read in academic research is different to what you experience at first scene level and you know people that have been through the club and have that identity it's quite a quite a nice way of trying to bring all that type of stuff together okay this is gonna be quite a challenging question for you but i'd be interested to hear your thing so obviously you're head of coaching and you're employing people that you want them to kind of um express themselves i guess what do you think their opinion of you would be as a head of coaching in terms of the support that you gave them or the ownership that you gave them and stuff? Um, I, I think if it, to, to answer the question, honestly, I think they would say supportive, um, but driven. So like I, I would challenge things all the time. So some people might get really frustrated by challenge. Um, but I think everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone that I've, I've sort of, coach develop would know that at the heart of everything anything that I challenge or any critical any standards is is the player in, in question so all the group that they're working with it's never the actual coach if that makes sense it's not because I don't see them as a good coach because otherwise I would never have employed them as such it would be are the individuals getting what they need in terms of what we're delivering so so if if there's a better way to do it or maybe there's a, a more efficient way to do it that i have seen i've probably challenged but um and sometimes maybe challenge slightly abruptly but not really not really probably more supportive do you think it challenged your beliefs because one thing i really like doing is watching either people i don't know or people i haven't work with extensively or that have slightly different backgrounds to me work because i always feel i can pick something else up that because they're so different to me the idea of how they do it is really different so therefore i can pick something up do you feel like being in that role you were able to gain a lot of insights into like your coaching or how you could change the way that you act to help players in different ways um yeah i mean something that i'm again like i say going back to the individuals I will I will often ask players like their opinion of me and that's not like a after I've built a rapport so it's not like a trip up uh, you wait and, and you'll be out on your ear um, it's more like what could like what could I've given you more of today um, and sometimes it'll be planned for me as well in terms of I want to see because I, I, I know I could have given them more of that and I want to see if they pick up on that so that I'm not saying I'm skillful but that is a skill. Um, and I guess in terms of that, I think the, the learning parts would be just, again, the timing probably. <laughs> I think a huge part of that is timing. I, I, I sort of remember a, an abrupt moment with a, a specific coach, but there was a, a really good player at Peterborough who was, um, who's in around the first team now and, and, I didn't feel within this particular session he was being at all challenged, for example. And it was just a moment where I literally just sort of stepped in. I, I'd had a conversation on the side and, and asked the question and the particular coach just didn't really understand how to challenge that player further. So I just sort of stepped in and, and 
showed, if you like. Um, and the player was sort of more challenged straight away, but at the same time, it was like step back and ask the coach. And, and he, he felt really um, undermined. So that was, that was a huge learning curve for me because it was like, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to undermine you at all, even though I'm effectively your boss anyway. But it was like, I, I'm not trying to undermine you, certainly not in front of the players. But I do also want the players to understand that we're driving the standards for them. So I'm not going to accept OK, if that makes sense. Because um, as I say, like genuinely at the heart of everything, like, I, I wouldn't enjoy doing the job if it wasn't for the players that you're working with, really. And did that present any issues moving forward? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'll be honest with you, Mike. So, yeah, there's, there's been, I mean, there were a couple of times where I stuck up for players. Because um, also we've got to remember that a lot of them are, are sort of adolescents as well, that in terms of, but even even the ones that aren't, um, even the young pros I've worked with as well, they, they're young people and, and sometimes are treated or mistreated, I should say, um, in my belief. So I think just standing up for players, and, and that probably um, didn't help me too much when I was at Peterborough, but um, I, I, it was quite a forceful sort of um, headbutting game. <laughs> but uh, in, in fairness, so to fill you in a little bit, I guess, myself and the director of football and the chairman sort of, butted heads and and I guess if you're ever going to butt heads with anyone you probably don't want to butt heads with them but actually they they came around and said look we we've spoken to a few other members of staff and actually what you're trying to do is the right thing so um it actually sort of died down and then later on um had another sort of falling out just because a, a senior member of staff spoke to a couple of young young players in a in a totally disrespectful manner and I just I just said, I, I don't, you, you might be a senior member of staff, but that's not in any way how we should be speaking to sort of our younger players. So, yeah, that is, it's, uh, it's fallen on me a few times, definitely. But like I say, at the, at the heart of it, it's got to be the player, isn't it? So, And do you think when you've progressed after that and moved on forward, it's helped you to address those types of situations more and kind of, keep having the player at the forefront of your mind? Yeah, I think, like I say, I, like there's something, I mean, that that is my my sort of strongest passion and I guess sometimes probably over-enthusiastic about it or over-passionate, if you like. But I think just my values really are quite strongly ingrained in me and I think that leads to speaking to individuals in certain ways. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes we all do. But there, there's that further step um, that I just personally, whether it, whether it was within a club that I'm working with or not, um, I remember having an argument with another youth coach one day during the game just because of the way he spoke to the referee and it ended up me and him having like a little tease on the sideline. <laughs> and I was like, listen, if, if, if he wants to throw his hands up and give up, we haven't got a game. So just, just I guess, that, that sort of... Um, like I say, the values that I carry, I, I carry quite strongly, I guess. So, yeah. It's, it's important to have those things, you know, common decency and 
you can tell people and critique people and stuff and at times you might need to give them a bit of a rocket as it as it's called yeah. but there's constructive ways to do it and there's other ways it's kind of demeaning and all that type of stuff which is obviously when you're trying to develop young people is the way that you don't want to go yeah absolutely okay so i'm going to loop, loop this back round to something you mentioned at the start which is something i actually on a course recently spoke to a, a few people about which was interesting which is different areas propose different issues or it's very diverse from area to area do you just want to talk through kind of your experiences because obviously you've gone for a lot of clubs there from Watford to Barnet, Peterborough um, and obviously where you are and living now for you how have you found the diversity in areas and what what changes and challenges have you seen going from from club to club or region to region yes I mean it it's so bizarre because it's not like it's too broad to say each area is it's, it, you definitely can't say that um however there there's probably percentages within each area that you kind of strongly get to see and and i think watford is a real interesting one because um watford's actually a really wealthy part of the country um and in around watford is actually a really wealthy part of the con country so you've got the kind of leafy london boy if you like and then you've got the 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 street kid london boy as well um and i think that actually genuinely i thought that brought such a healthy clash um because you've almost got the leafy boys leaving training like yeah man yeah we can do this bruv um, and then you've got the the inner street london boy going what are you talking about um but it 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 raised loads of loads of cultural differences within that um and people like it was the first well barnet and watford were the first times really it had been raised in my mind um without anyone raising it where i was watching sort of people's behaviors players or young people's behaviors and thinking right rather than saying anything i'm just going to ask so I'm not going to impose my thoughts on them. I'm just going to ask and just say, for example, Player X, so uh, how's your day been? How did you get to training? And just those questions um, over sort of three, three and a bit years, whatever, it was just unbelievable. Like some of the feedback that you get and all of a sudden, not to say you take your foot off the standards of what you're delivering, but you suddenly have a different outlook on how you might speak to someone because you suddenly realise that actually... He had a detention at school. He feels like that was unfair. And then because of his detention, he missed the train. So then he, blah, 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 had to, don't know, and he's borrowed a pair of boots and whatever. And he's still trying to be an academy footballer. And you're, you're like, all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, don't get detention. <laughs> Number one thing, don't get detention, simple. But actually everything that you've done to get yourself here on time is plaudible really. And, and you kind of, once you start to, and then you've got another lad that, and, and everyone's in a different situation, but mum and dad are very wealthy, mum doesn't work, so he gets dropped to training 45 minutes before with a Costa coffee in his hand, and packed away, pump, like, do you know what I mean? A little tap on the bum, off you go, off you go, go on, go training you. Um, and yeah, and I mean, again, speaking to one of the lads from Watford actually the other day, and speaking about two of the lads in our group, and he said, 
he goes, do you remember the fights them two used to have? And I won't mention any names again, and like two of the lads were in the group. He's like, do you remember the fights them two used to have? Like just before and during and after training. I was like, oh, I used to love it. I used to absolutely love it. Because not out of hand fights, but it would be like fisty cuff, like, you know, classic, like stand up, puff your chest out. Um, and I'd kind of like let it roll for a little bit and then I'd interject. And, but it was it was quite healthy, I think, for, for the rest of the group to see that. And also for them to be able to share their sort of backgrounds and cultures as well and go, well, like without it, like I say, getting out of hand. But um, And then like something that sticks in my mind that I'll probably never lose is at Barnet. I remember one night walking through the training ground that like I was walking home. Um, and like there were still coaches floating around obviously and, and uh it was like one of the under 10s and i said to him oh what, what are you doing then where where are your mum and dad um he's like oh no i've got to get the tube and i was like all right okay getting the tube and i was thinking i'd say maybe 10 years old max um and I was like, oh, and I started walking off and then I was like, hang on a minute, don't you live in, and basically his tube ride was like an hour across London. And I was like, I can't believe there's a nine-year-old doing this. And it, like, he wasn't the only one, if you know what I mean. But when it gets brought to your forefront, you think, wow, the, like, the amount of differences. And then, like I say, Peterborough and, and Cambridge, you, you've probably got a slightly more affluent areas and, and certainly in, in the south coast where i'm now slightly more affluent slightly but you've still got people that are, that are not as wealthy but yeah really really diverse and different um upbringings backgrounds and areas bring certain sort of traits and personalities with them as well like people in the south coast are slightly more laid back than people in london probably just naturally because of the, the speed of life i don't know um, but yeah, yeah, so that's. I think I think that's really interesting. I know there's been some academic studies on that, and um, like if you're living in London or this one was in New York, and they were saying because of the pace of it, people actually walk quicker in London <laughs> than outside, just because it is the pace of life. You have to get to somewhere to beat someone to get places, whereas you know the places that aren't as uh, hectic or as busy, you don't have to do those things. Yeah, um, which is obviously a side to that. Just before I come to the last question, because I appreciate we're, we're almost out of time. Um, did this help you when you went into first team environment? Kind of those learnings. Do you feel like actually appreciating the person, the fact you know they may have had a tear up with their missus, or <sighs> mum or dad might be ill, or they've had a nightmare, they've crashed their car on the way to train or something like that? Do you think those type of learnings gave you a better understanding? when you went into the first team environment? Ah, oh, 100%. And, and don't get me wrong, like some people um, will say the coach, the, the manager, whatever, the assistant need to be cut off from the person and, and driven and, and it's all about the football and the result. Um, so different people have different approaches. But um, I remember just just generally noting the behavior of one of the the sort of and, and he was a senior pro but one of the younger pros at, at peterborough and i remember over two or three days i just watched his body language sort of like degenerate if you like and, and so i pulled him one day after breakfast and just said 
everything all right and anyway he had he had some emotional moment um but it was really interesting because at the, at the upshot of that conversation was he was like do you know no one's ever had a conversation with me other than football and and he'd been a pro for like four or five years and he was like no one's actually really engaged in a conversation about am i all right and and stuff like that but so that was that was a standout moment but i've always sort of like i say that the person's always been at the center so i guess i have had conversations and i guess that kind of goes back to your point earlier is i've never felt um intimidated by asking a human how they're feeling if that makes sense whoever they might be and whatever name they've got that makes them slightly more famous to other people if that makes sense i've never been intimidated by that so i guess i guess for me that makes it quite important because actually we'll, we always find out somewhere along people's journeys that we however popular or famous they might be um lionel messi went through a tough time at 13 14 years old well I wonder how many people had a conversation with him probably quite a lot because he was like on the brink of being the world's best footballer if that makes sense um but regardless of being the world's best footballer i, I still think it's really important especially in youth development where we know that the figures aren't great um that actually we've got to go they're people first and like you say in first team environments they are still people first and i think personally there's always an element of if you get the buy-in from the person if the person knows and it's it's that old saying but if the person know knows that you care then they'll probably care more about what you're telling them if that makes sense um so yeah i think that's that's sort of crucial to how i would work as yeah. such and i think it's interesting i think I, I was watching and this is a very dramatized version i was watching victus over the weekend which is oh, yeah. about see the rugby with nelson mandela and stuff and they showed a a scene of him learning all the players' names. Um, and I always think, well, while I was thinking, and I, I have thought about it before, that's a really easy way to get players buy-in, is just learning, like, kids' names, just so you can yeah. say to them, oh, how's Tom, how's whoever, how's Liam, how's Katie? Being able to just ask them, they, that little thing might be enough going, bloody hell, he's taken five minutes out of his day to learn my kid's name, to know it's their birthday or something like that, which might be that 1% extra buy-in when tough times going rough, where they go, no, he's a decent guy, I'm going to dig in a little bit little bit more. So I think, you know, linking it back to being, caring about the person and then being able to care about the player creates that positive environment overall. Definitely, and I think that is something that, um, to see at the, the elite level and speak about at the elite level, I think, like it's it's been quite well documented now, but you look at like Liverpool and Klopp, um, but even like what you just mentioned there, like you, I'm sure you've seen the videos of like when they're singing happy birthday to each other in a, a variety of languages, because obviously it's multicultural, football is multicultural, and it, like little things like that I think are overlooked, if that makes sense. Like even as, as top performing athletes, at, whatever age they are some are 34 some are 28 whatever um just that little sense of like you say oh actually yeah he does care like they all do care i'm i'm important within this group that that means a lot doesn't it so like you say i think that's crucial like you say even knowing their names and stuff like that and also for parents as well i think that's an important thing isn't it oh whoever coach x actually 
has taken the time, whatever. Yeah, I remember one one occasion where I just asked. I knew one of the older brothers had been a, I think, had a triathlon meet, and I just asked the the little boys, "Oh, how did he get on?" And he said he was only young, under nine maybe, and he was like, "Yeah, he did all right," and ran and got a football and went off. And at the end end of the session, the parents went, "Oh, thanks for that." And I was like, "What do you mean?" They went, "Well, thanks for asking how he's got on. That was really nice." Yeah. And I was like, "That's for me it was a five second thing of just asking." how it was but to the kid and the family makes quite a big difference and you know they're, yeah. they're, you know actually he cares about him about the he cares about him as a person not just as the player but listen i appreciate we're a little bit over time so i'm going to ask you one last question and i'll let you go um so i ask everyone this and it probably for you it comes in two things which is who's the best uh, player you've worked with um, and why what makes what made them a standout and then who's the best coach you've kind of worked with or against and why oh wow um i guess arguably similar similar to the answer earlier i guess arguably um the best player i've worked with or, or maybe if i can nick two <laughs> um would probably be like alexis sanchez um and and for the reasons i gave earlier i think i was very fortunate to to be able to to be in that sort of position to do that um and probably just just at the the stage he is now and and where he is now i think probably jade and sancho as well would be up there um and i think something for both of them is that that sort of continual drive that that drive and desire to that they're they're things that stood out to me like i said about sanchez like just constantly wanting to be better on an international camp was just absolute standout and don't get me wrong technically he's also very good um athletically he's also very good but but just his continued desire and drive to and and jade in the same really um as a as a sort of under 10 to an under sort of 14 he he just constantly had that drive and desire to be the best not only in his age group but in all the age groups like he was he was determined to play on the world stage basically um and then coaches wise um i'd probably like genuinely and i, I don't mean this because like untoward if you like but probably jim kelman who who i said at an early age was was a real sort of inspiring figure for me um but was actually like genuinely one of the best coaches i mean he was he was way way ahead of his time so a lot of his his own developed syllabuses and, and stuff like that were things that the fa then implemented like years after and um he was one of the first coaches to play in england with a back three and and with wing backs and just just way ahead of his time in, in the systems and some of the things that he did um and then probably fortunately i was coached on a number of occasions by the the there i say the late great dick bait as well um so yeah he would be up there in terms of his passion as well his, his enthusiasm at a, at a ripe age um yeah so probably those two. Sorry, I've nicked two on both. Yeah, I've come up with one answer. I've sat on the fence. <laughs> that's fine. Listen, Tom, I appreciate your time. Um, 
and yeah, it was a great conversation and maybe we can catch up again at some other point because I know we've probably stopped about halfway through your career there and I'm sure you've got <laughs> interesting stories. But yeah, really appreciate your time and I'm really good. Hope you enjoyed it. No problem. Yeah, it's been excellent. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.